I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Watch Time. Now, we've had a lot of fun in the past few weeks interviewing a bunch of interesting YouTubers. We talked about Molly, how he grew to a million subscribers in almost record time for any channel in Australia. We interviewed Mr. Fresh Asian about his crazy come up story going from living in public housing in Mount Droit to becoming one of the biggest creators, not only in the region, but in the world. Uh, and today we've got a very, very special guest for you. That's right. We're going to be interviewing me. <laughs> about my cover story. More, more interestingly, actually, Grace has put together a bunch of questions to talk about kind of my experience growing my YouTube channel, going from playing games as a kid to where I am today. And uh, yeah, I don't really know what to expect, but hopefully there'll be some interesting stuff. <laughs> I'm excited to interview Elliot today, guys. Um, Elliot and I obviously have a unique relationship where brother and sister, uh, we're business partners, we're great friends, and yeah, I feel like there's so much to Elliot that not everyone knows about. And I think there's a lot of lessons and like interesting tidbits to learn from it. So to kick it off, Elliot, tell us about what you were like at school. Like as a kid, Elliot, what was that experience like? I was so socially awkward. I was like the <laughs> least socially competent. You know how there's like, there's like in school, there's the three tiers. There's the cool kids who play sport and do all the cool kids stuff. Then there's just like the normal kids, you know, they're a bit academic, bit sporty, whatever. Then there's the kids who sit outside the library all, all lunchtime. I was, I was the kid sitting outside the library. Um, yeah, no school, school. I was basically, God, I didn't even think I played that many video games. I don't know what I did. I was just naturally not a very uh, not a very cool kid in school. Okay, so taking it back to what you were just saying then, when are your first memories of gaming? Because for me, I remember, I'm two years older than Elliot. I remember that that was like a massive passion for you in school. And it was something that I think when you did get into it, dominated a huge amount of your time. My actual, actual, actual first memory of gaming was a, oh God, who was, Bob the Builder. That's the name. It was, it was some <laughs> Bob the Builder game that came with its own, it was a PC game that came with its own little, like, it was like a keyboard, but it had like a little hammer on it and a little saw. And you literally use this custom keyboard to play the game. That's like earliest memory. The first like actual adult game I can remember playing uh, was one called Star Wars Galaxies. Um, that was uh, an MMO, kind of like World of Warcraft on PC. I think it was actually made initially to be a, a counter, like to be a, a competitor to World of Warcraft. Um, mm -hmm. but and how I, old do you think you were? Oh God, I don't know. I think I must have been like nine or ten, maybe. I'm probably mm -hmm. younger. I, I feel like I'm remembering that all wrong. But I remember I was too young to actually really understand what an MMO was. I would just run <laughs> around and try and like make my house look pretty and fly around on a speeder bike and. Uh, yeah, I, I really, I, I, I didn't play the game the way you're supposed to play the game. But I, the thing, <laughs> the thing that I, I think was so fun, and I'm actually, I, I often think back to when I was playing that game, 
um that it's something that you just i feel like i mean you know you how people always talk about how you lose your imagination a bit when you're growing up yeah like your ability to you know be on like a on like a playground and pretend you're on the titanic and it's sinking and you know that kind of stuff everyone mm-hmm. does as kids i had that in this game because i remember you know i had one other friend at school who played it and we'd talk about how we were going to create like a trading alliance where we were going to like ship animals from one planet to another planet and sell them and and make money and that is not how the game worked in a practical sense but i remember just getting so immersed in my character in that mmo Mm -hmm. that i would like go to sleep and dream about it at night and um (laughs) Yeah, I, I really missed that game. And going back and looking at it now, I'm like, wow, that I remember that game being a whole lot better looking. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was my first MMO. And then uh, when the Xbox 360 came out, that was when I got my first console after a lot of uh, begging and pleading with mum and dad. And uh, yeah. that was Call of Duty 2. So that was probably where my my real like shooter gaming experiences started. I also remember you played a lot of um, that Star Wars pod racer game. Mm. Mm. That game was incredible. And now after this <laughs> podcast, I'm going to have to go and find where I can buy it. I, Cause I don't even know where you can buy those OG games anymore. I'm going to have to go find yeah. a place to download it and play that again. Cause that game was so fun. I would play that for hours. <laughs> And I guess, did you feel like that was kind of an escape from school? Like, given you think you were a bit socially awkward or you struggled in that department, like, was gaming something that you felt like you were good at that you could have as an outlet? No, I mean, I don't think I used it as an escape. When I was, like, when I was at school, especially, like, the whole, like, uh, junior school, middle school part, it wasn't like I was, like, a kid who got bullied all the time. I just, like, I didn't really like doing as much of the like sports stuff you know like i had my group of friends everyone was happy we're chilling having a good time like objectively we were not a cool group but i wouldn't say that it was like uh i had a really hard time at school and used it as an escape i think i just i genuinely loved those games and i think i loved having that were you good at them no i was horrible i was horrible at games really yeah but but also like the, the the interesting thing when i think about playing games as a kid it's so different how it is these days like back then you know like playing online and multiplayer that was like the niche of gaming more yeah at least at least in my experience you know like the majority of time when i played against someone else it would be like oh i went to my friend's house and we plugged in two controllers and 1v1'd each other in call of duty you know because our parents would be too stingy to get the the gold subscription to play online or yeah you know, pod racer, you're only versing computers. So like a lot of the time you'd be like, oh bro, I'm like the, I I am sick at games because (laughs) I managed to beat my two other friends. Therefore, objectively, I am the greatest Call of Duty player alive. (laughs) You know, like, and, and, and like, and you compare it to these days where like, to be good, you have to be so good because you're not, Mm. you're you're no longer competing against just your friends. Oh, you think about the 13 year olds now. Oh my God. Like I, yeah, I mean like it's, it's getting a little bit ahead, but I remember in boarding school, you know, like we'd have little LAN parties for like Counter-Strike and Dota and someone would be like the best in our group of 10 or 12 that would play in boarding school. And everyone would be like, he's a God, man. He's unreal. He can't be touched. (laughs) And man, if, if you were to put them online at that skill level, they'd be nothing. But like within those small groups, yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly, I like you didn't have to be good to be good, you know? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so let's take it to high school where you went to boarding school. You were spending a lot of time away from home. What was that experience like for you socially? I know that like you did have a bit of a time with bullying and that sort of thing. Like, is there any incidents there or like how was that for you? I mean, gaming in boarding school was uh, was interesting because in year nine, which is the year where I went to Timbertop, which is like this campus up in the bush where you like live in the bush for a year. It's weird. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had laptops, but we had no internet and you were technically only allowed to use the laptops for like Microsoft Word and work-related things. Like games yep. were so strictly banned. And I remember for like the first term, you know, no one had games. And then like term one, someone was like, mm-hmm. I snuck Pokemon onto the computers. And then there'd be <laughs> this like one golden USB getting like shuffled around <laughs> school where everyone would get it. And then by the end of the year, I remember we all got Counter-Strike onto these computers. Oh and my God. at night we had to like lock them in a cupboard so that we couldn't get them. And by the end of the year, we were literally like... Un- we'd figured out how to unscrew the back panel of the computer cupboard at 3 a.m. in the morning, take these laptops out and like have midnight LAN sessions and then like hide them back in again. It was like the most high level contraband Counter-Strike you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, no, I mean like gaming, gaming for me in boarding school was, was good actually, because, you know, while back then we the internet connection at boarding school was really separate like you couldn't get on youtube you couldn't play games online or do anything like Mm -hmm. that it was all kind of lan within the school Mm -hmm. but because of that you could have really good lan games and it was (laughs) i I have so many good memories of you know like versing someone in a game and then kicking their door down and being like you son of a bitch that tactic was bullcrap you know you can't do that and then like you know everyone's like shouting back and forward and it was it was really really fun um Mm -hmm. Yeah. And socially, what was high school like for you? I know you had like a couple of experiences that weren't so positive. So like, I feel boarding schools more than any other, um, any other thing in, in school are like all about hierarchy. Like, you know, in, in schools, like where you go for the day that like a hierarchy exists, but yeah. you know, with like the cool kids and the less cool kids, but I feel like boarding school more than anything, because you're literally living with people, eating with people, doing everything every single day. An absolute hierarchy happens there mm-hmm. way, way more than you normally get in, in any other. Where did you feel like you were on the hierarchy? Oh, I was like low, but like, <laughs> but, but the interesting thing with me is right. So, so probably the, the guy who, um, who like to, you know, swing around the most and, you know, try and like be the head of the hierarchy was, uh, was a kid called Sean um you know comes from like billionaire parents so doesn't have to worry about school and you know can just go and get jacked at the gym all day um Mm -hmm. but uh here's the thing like a lot of the time the hierarchy wouldn't really you know matter that much it would just kind of be like you know person higher in the hierarchy tells you to go do something or tells you to go away and like you do it but my but like i mean you know me and probably most people who know me in real life know me i am stubborn i am the most stubborn son of a bitch you will ever meet i like just on principle like i like you could i i could say the sky is green or the sky is is purple and you'd be like it's blue and i would refuse to admit that i'm wrong um and not not in the same way but in a similar way that kind of transitioned into that hierarchy stuff where um sean hated me i think most of all people because i 
was didn't like, back down. I, yeah, I didn't back down. So I think, you know, like I'm going to have to do the condensed version of this story. Um, we're all, because like boarding school would all sit around a table for breakfast. Uh, generally the rule is if someone like finishes uh, the like milk jug at the table, you got to go refill it. Sean emptied it. And then he like uh, turned to me and he was like, he was like, Elliot, go fill it up. And I was like, I was like, I just sat down. I'm not, you just finished it. Like you do it. I'm, I don't, I'm not even drinking that. And he was like, go do it. And I was like, no. So then he got this jug of orange juice and upended it on my tray. And I was just like, fuck you, Sean. And he was like, you're going to pay for that later. Anyway, that night in the, uh, in the boarding right. house, he, uh, he tackled me onto the ground in the dorm and was like, apologize for that. And I was like, I was like, fuck you, Sean. He was like, apologize. And I was like, you're a dickhead. He was like, apologize. I was like, you're a dickhead. He was like, say that one more time. I dare you. I was like, you're a dickhead. And then he kneed me in the face. And uh, I think he fractured my nose. But long story short, there was so much blood. I remember I had to throw my shirt out because it was literally just red all the way through. But wow. um, yeah, but there's very much a, you know, snitches get stitches policy. So like, never really like became like a, a deal mm -hmm. with teachers um which in hindsight actually i would say you know it's easy like it's what you know fucking adults older people are always gonna say in hindsight nah you should definitely if you're getting physically attacked probably actually bring that to the attention of someone uh because you know as much as there's a bro code there's also if the person breaks the bro code in the first place by just being an absolute twat then uh they probably don't yeah. deserve to get covered by it um how do you feel like that like how did that make you feel in the moment like were you angry were you frustrated no i, like, I loved how did it that i love like like in the sense that i like it sounds weird i loved that he snapped and did that because i won you know like sure yeah. he's bigger than me he's always going to win physically i'm not going to be able to beat the guy up but like mentally he snapped because he's so used to having his billionaire dad buy him whatever he wants and get whatever he wants in life and all that kind of shit. And like telling kids lower in the hierarchy to go do this, go do that. And then yeah. finally not being Good able to you. get that. That was like a big thing for me. Anyway, I hope he's doing well these days. Probably not as much of an ass anymore because I think I'm not as much of a twat as I was in boarding school. I think people change a lot from when they're in boarding have you school. Ever, have you ever spoken to any of those people since school? Oh yeah, I've talking to oh like not necessarily people. Oh actually there are one or two people who I wasn't like on good terms with and who were probably, you know, slightly we were kind of against each other in boarding school. But that's what I mean. Like those people when I talk to them these days, I'm like, you know, it's like great. It's like I'll go over a beer with them, we'll have yeah. a chat. It's like fantastic. Because That's really um, nice that you can view it that way because I think a lot of people would hold that bitterness and like that was one of the questions I was going to ask you like did it fuel you like do you think it made you driven to be like no I'm going to show that person wrong and no nah, be I don't think any of my drive comes from comes from like wanting to prove people wrong I don't I don't think at all really I think um you know I'm I'm driven but I don't think that's where it comes from um where I do think, you think it comes from? The weird thing is I wasn't always like, I, yeah, I, I like, it's interesting talking, thinking about school. I remember in, uh, you know, basically year seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, my grades sucked. I was horrible. And then I remember at the end of year 10, I, I think I fully fluked it. 
Because I did, I wasn't studying. I was so taken out of left field. I got the single highest mark in the year group for a chemistry test, the end of year chemistry test. And I remember mm-hmm. like teachers like looking at me being like, because they heard that I got the highest mark and being like, oh, good job. And the head of my boarding school being like, good job, Elliot. And all that. And I was like, I was like, oh, wow. This like doing well thing is, is kind of cool. Hey, like, you know, this is like good. And anyway. Um, it feels good. Yeah, it feels really good. Anyway, then, uh, and I, I think you're very much a product of the people you're around. And I got very lucky because of that um, result. My the head of my boarding school, I think we got put in. We got put in studies of two, so two people to a study. And uh, shout outs to Robbo because I think he like saw that I wasn't always necessarily doomed to get bad grades, and I had a small amount of potential mm. after that. So he put me in a study with. A uh, kid called Dan Lee, who is single smartest, hardworking person I've ever met in my life, and just being in that study with him, it just created this culture of like work is cool, you know. Yeah. Like I think I think you're very much like you're either in a and I was talking to some I remember talking to teachers about this where it was like why the year twelve results would go up and down each year, the final year results would go up and down mm-hmm. each year, and it was like year groups as a whole either decide study is cool or study is not cool. And whichever way yeah. a certain year group goes will swing the overall performance of that year group so much. And I think that happened for me with, yeah, studying with with Dan because he was uh, he was just so hardworking, um, like, you know, would would I, I would like love just going through English with him and reading and studying with him and like being like, oh, we're not going to go to bed because we're going to stay in the study and like work a little bit later. And it just... Yeah. made me I, I just i don't know I, I suddenly swapped gives you like a hunger yeah i suddenly swapped from not caring to literally having i think an addiction to like grades i was gonna say because i think something something that i notice is a really really strong fundamental trait of who you are is that you're very competitive you're extremely driven And I see that in every aspect, like with games, I think you're driven with life. Generally, I think you're driven. And I think that's such a good lesson in that you're an average of the people that you surround yourself with. And if you put yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by people that are better than you, that work really hard, that just culture of excellence rubs off on you. And do you feel like you almost saw year 12 as like a game to be played, like a game where it was like, I want to succeed at this. I want to do good. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think I had just such a good group in year 12 of being like, and I remember, yeah, just everyone, I I don't know. I just remember having this really good group around me of like 10 to 12 people where everyone was just like, the cool thing to do was to be getting good grades. You know, if you were the guy who like knew how to do poetry analysis better than anyone, that was like, people would like come and chat (laughs) with you and be like, oh dude, like, so what do you think about that? Like this thing's really cool. I remember I just became obsessed and I was lucky enough to have some really, really good teachers and just really, really good people surrounding me. And I, yeah, I think I was very much like a product of just my environment Mm -hmm. in that, in that year. But um, yeah, I'm. it's so weird thinking back, you know, like how, you know, a, a couple of years earlier, like no one wanted to study. It sucked. And then I remember in year 12, people literally boasting about, they're like, oh, bro, like I've got myself down to four hours of sleep at night now so I can maximize studying until 3 a.m. and then wake up at seven. Like, 
only four hours. I only need four hours sleep a night and I can operate almost functionally. And everyone's like, oh my God, how'd you do that, dude? And it was like, well, I just kept cutting 20 Bang minutes energy. a night off. <laughs> literally, that would be like, I literally just kept, I, I kept cutting 20 minutes a night off. And then also I have this giant box of caffeine pills and I just pop them until I can't stay, stay awake anymore. And it's like, man, that's like aggressive. Don't do that, by the way. It's a bad idea. Don't, <laughs> don't do any of that. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I was very much a product of the of the people I was in. And yeah, and then just a casual flex for the people listening, Elliot did incredibly well at school. I think you ranked in the top 1% of the state, basically. So it, it paid off. But I guess at that point in your life, was gaming still part of it? Or was it very much like you put it on pause to focus on what was important at that time? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely put it on pause. It wasn't a, it wasn't a total pause. I remember at, that was actually around the time where I was getting really into TF2. I started playing TF2, which was my first mm -hmm. YouTube game, um, or it was to be a couple of years later or a year later. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely cut it down a lot um, mm -hmm. as opposed to what I would be doing. I think it was also just a, a benefit of being at, you know, a boarding school with a cordoned off internet. It was really hard to play games. Like, yeah. you, you know, TF2 was an online game. And I, unless I were to like boost off a 4G modem, which was a horrible experience and data back then was so expensive. So you basically couldn't do it. Um, yeah. Unless you were boosting off a 4G modem, you literally couldn't even play the game. So I remember just, mm. I'd play like bot games every now and again. But yeah, no, I definitely, definitely didn't play nearly as many games in year 12 as I did in previous years. You weren't foreseeing that a year from then it could potentially be a career path for you. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> okay, so you finished school, started university, and you were studying commerce law, which to be fair is like a pretty highly academic degree. Um, so when you started, do you remember playing games while you were at university or what, what was your experience of university? Were you enjoying studying? Were you not super my, engaged? Yeah, I don't know. My work ethic went from being fantastic to being not great. I, I think I, I was interested in things, but also it, um, yeah, I don't know why my work ethic really didn't go as strong in in uni but or maybe it I mean, was I think maybe uni. i think it happens to a lot yeah, of people yeah i think it happens to pretty much everyone but yeah no i i remember i just i suddenly had a really good internet connection i had a lot of time sitting in my you know room under my own supervision and i developed a very aggressive addiction to uh team fortress 2 and just mm -hmm. started playing that game so so much um, and yeah, it was about halfway into my first year of uni where I started my YouTube channel. Okay. So before that, were you watching YouTubers at the time? Like was watching gaming on YouTube something you did? Yeah. I watched a lot of YouTube. I watched a lot. Who were you watching at that time? Um, honestly, probably the, the big channels for me when I was, uh, before I started my channel was a guy called Jericho, um, yep. Tucker, who's super awesome guy. Uh, I used to watch, oh God, who was it back then? You know, like Markiplier, PewDiePie, like the big, the big guys. I remember mm -hmm. kind of, um, watching them kind of grow up. And I remember seeing like how rapidly some of those channels were growing and just being like mind yeah. blown by it. And did you ever, when did that creeping desire to start your own YouTube 
come in. So it was actually something that I remember me and a friend in boarding school joked about a lot. Brian Chu, the guy who got me into TF2 in the first place, mm -hmm. him and I made like a couple of videos for fun. And I think we weirdly joked about like who could get the most subscribers or something like that. But I, I actually, I totally forget what made me want to start a channel. I think it was really just around the fact that I developed that, this really big passion for TF2. I was playing the game an absolute ton. I was getting pretty good at rocket jumping, um, which was a, a certain thing you could do in TF2. Mm -hmm. And I think it was actually, it started around me doing like cool little rocket jump courses and like showing cool jumps you could do in, in certain maps and putting them on Reddit. And then I remember just like getting that viewership on Reddit and having like people comment and engage with a piece of content that I made was mm -hmm. so addictive. I just remember yeah. being immediately addicted by having people see something I made and commenting like, oh, that's good. Or, oh, that's bad. Or, oh, I could do better. Or that's sick. Or can you make a tutorial? All that kind of stuff. I just remember that immediate feedback was just like, oh my God, this is like, this is sick. Yeah. You know, this is awesome. not even necessarily the positive feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just like viewership and engagement. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of led me to, to initially try just also just because I was spending so many hours playing the game, uh, you know, like I, I didn't like feeling unproductive. So I, if I could find a way right. to make my love of that right. game, a productive thing, then even better. Cause then I can lie to myself and say that I can play the game as much as I want because I'm being productive. Um, <laughs> but no, but so I do say you remember uploading the first video. I actually don't remember really what my first video was because you know what's really sad? YouTube deleted it. My first oh. ever live commentary video, YouTube deleted. I thought it was a rocket jumping tutorial. No, there was a, so, so there was initially, uh, um, sorry, well, my first ever live commentary, YouTube deleted. Uh, there was, there was a couple of rocket jump tutorials. I think it initially started with me posting like a few like little race clips of me just doing cool jumps. And then, mm -hmm. which I then cross post onto Reddit and I got a few subs from that. And then I made a rocket jump tutorial. Yeah. I don't really remember. Um, I don't really remember the exact process behind making those videos, to be honest. But I remember being really excited seeing like a hundred views on the video and being like, I'm blowing up, man. Yeah. So what was that experience like when you first uploaded? Did you have like a presence anywhere else? to push it and be like, hey guys, I'm uploading on YouTube now? Or was it really purely organic? Uh, I would say the TF2 subreddit was actually like crucial in getting that that early traction, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, which, so like, I remember there would be, there was like this weird thing that happened. I remember it was like, there was a certain map in TF2 and it was like, and someone posted a clip being like, oh, look at this video. I jump from, you know, one end of the map to the other end of the map in 15 seconds. And then I posted a video being like, nice job, dude. I did it in 14 and then posted a video of that. And then he came back and he was like, <laughs> well, I did it in 13. And then I came back and I did it. And I was like, I did it in 12.8. He was like, I did 12.6. I was like 12.5, 12.4. And then like eventually, uh, yeah, it just became this big thing where it was going back and forward on the TF2 subreddit. And that yeah. was the first time I think I got like a big amount of like traction on stuff. Yeah. And then it was after that that I made a rocket jump tutorial and kind of all went from there. And did you feel like it gained traction quickly or was there a period where it was really, really slow at the start? Like obviously relative, but... Um, I would say it was actually surprisingly steady through the TF2 period. 
Like, mm-hmm. I would say I, I reached the kind of blow-up period, like, blow-up relative to what being big back then was, which was, like, being in the hundred thousands of subscribers, which these days isn't nearly as big, but... Um, but yeah, I got really lucky because TF2 just, it had this big community, this really driven community. The two mm-hmm. biggest YouTubers for it, Stir and Germa, had just basically stopped making videos. So there was just this hole of, of people who yeah, loved content. the game, but no one was making content for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so and do you remember when were you at the point where you were like, okay, I'm really into this and you're making content regularly and your like what because i remember you definitely didn't tell any one of us in our family for quite a while i don't know if there was ever really a point where i was like okay now stuff is is serious i definitely think as soon as i realized i could do a live commentary and i could actually you know make regular content because as soon as i could do videos where i'm talking as soon as i knew people could listen to my voice and not throw up uh that's when i was like okay now i can do so much more stuff you know because back then i'd I'd watched a lot of youtubers like stir and germa and i knew like what that style of content was um you know which is playing the game having fun commentating it uh and so as soon as that door opened i i think the flood more came more came from just having the possibility of making all these videos and having the mm. ability to kind of show now a whole breadth of stuff. Not so much because I was like, okay, now it's going to get tons of views, but yeah, just purely because I was excited to make content. But that said, I do remember that you definitely didn't tell our parents for quite a while. Oh yeah. 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 No, I kept it. I kept it super low key that I was, that I was doing YouTube until God, I don't even know. Was it like 50,000 subscribers? I think I told I like think, yeah. you, I, I think I, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I told, you know, you and uh, Ilsa and Meg, my other sisters, on, uh, like, when I had, like, 10K-ish, but... No, um, no, definitely not. It was 50,000. No? I remember. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And then I think and then I think it might have been you or Ilsa who told Dad, and then Dad asked me, and then I kind of told him from that. So why did you not want to tell your parents? I don't know. I think Dad was always, you know, kind of averse to me playing games, so I think I was a little yeah. bit nervous about that. Um, but also just wanting to make sure it was like successful before telling anyone, I guess. I don't Mm -hmm. fully remember like thinking back on it, but, um, yeah. Did you feel like you wanted to make sure it was a real thing and that almost you could prove like a legitimacy to it? Like you were, I remember you didn't tell dad until you were at least making a little bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. But even back then, like I, I don't really remember being like oh i'm gonna do this as a job i think i thought it was something that was like really really cool um and you know super super fun and i was super lucky to be doing but i don't think i saw it as doing a job so i don't know why uh you know i yeah i think back i genuinely don't remember why i didn't but i think it was basically you know not wanting to be like oh there's this new thing that i'm doing that i'm working really hard on uh to then have it fail I think I wanted to make sure yeah. that it was succeeding and then, you know, for my own self-worth. 
Do you remember when you first got paid from it? Or do you remember when you earned an amount where you were like, oh, okay, like I could actually make this at least a part-time job? Yeah, I remember I remember telling dad that I got like $1,000 one month, right? And mm. it was like, he, he was messaging you, right? And yeah. being like, and being like, oh, Elliot's saying that this YouTube paid him a thousand dollars, and he was like on the phone, <laughs> he was like, but is that like in your account, or if they just like said that they're gonna do it? Because like this sounds like a scam. And I was, I and- remember Dad being like, Elliot saying he got paid US dollars into some PayPal account. He was like, this can't be legit. He's like, is he getting scammed? I was like, no, Dad, like he's not getting scammed. It's a legit thing. <laughs> Yeah, he dad dad took some convincing that playing video games could could make money. These days he's like fully on board, amazing. But I remember um yeah, I remember he was very very skeptical. And then I remember we both had internships in Sydney that summer. It was after your first year of uni, it must have been after my third year of uni. And so we were both up in Sydney doing internships and I remember you were really into YouTube at the time. And it was any time that you weren't at that internship, you were in your room making videos. And I think that was the time when you decided that, okay, I might defer from uni or take a pause and not go back next year. Do you remember that time? Like when was when were you sort of hitting a tipping point where, where you were like, okay, I actually want to do this properly? I forget how many... Uh subscribers I had or how many views I was getting. I think I was making like a little bit less than minimum wage, but it was like on a trajectory and kind of at a point where, you know, and I think it was actually, yeah, no, I totally forget the exact timing on it. But uh, yeah, I remember it was basically moving into trajectory where I was like, you know, like I'm, I'm excited enough by it that I really want to do it properly. And like, I think if there's one, you know, it can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. If there's one personality trait I definitely have, it's if I'm doing something, I'm either doing it or I'm not doing it. You know, like I, I suck at 50, 50ing things. So you were a one track mind. I'm like a one. Yeah. And that's why like, um, yeah. So, so it's like, for me, if I'm doing YouTube, I need to be able to like do it. You know, if I've, if I've got this other stuff that I have to like study for and work for and some exam and some project that's coming up, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, like I can't study for that correctly because I also need to keep doing YouTube and I can't push YouTube to the full degree because I have to study. So that yeah. like my, my brain physically doesn't juggle things well. I'm like, I yeah. need to go all in if I'm doing something. And, um, and yeah, so I think it, it just reached a point where I was like, you know what? I'm excited enough by what YouTube's doing. This has been like a dream for me growing up. You know, I've grown up watching YouTubers thinking like they're absolute rock stars. Um, Yeah. And uh, this is like something that I never thought could be a reality. There's a small chance now that it could. I'd like to, you know, take six months and just like explore it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also remember that was around the time where I did my first ever like little sponsored thing with like it wasn't even like a sponsored deal where the company came to me and was like we want to work with you it was an automated thing called ronku that ea did back in the day where if you made a video on one of their games right after they released it they pay you a flat ten dollars cpm so if you get like you know fifty thousand views you get 500 bucks you know how good and i remember back then dude 500 bucks i was like that's wild i can like go out and like buy a bunch of Nando's and like pay for <laughs> drinks if I go out drinking for like the next like two weeks. That was like crazy. 
you know like i could yeah. like i could get all sorts of crazy stuff with that um, a lot of nandos it's a lot of nandos uh yeah but yeah so that was around the time where i was like you know what i'm gonna give it like a proper a proper go and when you decided that you were going to do it full time, what were you feeling? Were you like scared? Were you excited? Were you relieved? Were you terrified? I think I was largely scared because I think there was suddenly this big, <laughs> there was this big pressure to make it work. You know, now I really had to prove that it was a thing. And I think in the short term, that was actually bad. Like I suddenly changed my thumbnail style to be like really, really like cringy and clickbaity. Cause I was like, now yeah. like these videos have to get views. So I was like, okay, I need to like, do the most clickbaity thing I can. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember back then, like it really, I, I yeah, YouTube. Cause I, I, that was the first time I probably had to, cause it, I mean, naturally as I reached a bigger size, you start dealing with hate a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was right around that time where I had start dealing with a bit more, um, hate on videos. And How did that go? Well, it was hard because back then I was a TF2 YouTuber, right? And I was pretty much the only TF2 YouTuber. And what made that suck is there were these two incredible content creators, Stir and Germa. Like Germa, still like without question, one of the greatest YouTubers to ever come on the scene. Doesn't really make content anymore. But I was basically the follow-up act to two incredible channels. <laughs> and... I wasn't as good. I just factually, my content wasn't as good. And I still don't think my content's as good as the kind of stuff they were putting out back then. Cause they were just such like unique people. Um, Do you so, know them now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've met them and I've hung out with them. Super, super nice people. Um, and you know, really, really, really chill. But it, but it sucked because everyone would be like, oh, like, man, I guess Musog's videos are okay, but I wish Stir was back. Or like, yeah. and also there was this weird thing that I remember sent me insane was that Reddit for some reason thought that like Stir had this, like, he was the only one who was allowed to do like, which these days is the content everyone does. Back then though, TF2, Stir was the only one doing like live commentaries on games. So I would do a thing live commentating me playing TF2 and they'd be like, oh, nice job copying Star, mate. Like get some original content. I was like, what do you mean? I'm playing the game. And they're like, yeah, Stir did that six months ago. You're clearly copying his video where he played heavy. And I'm like, heavy is a, it's a claw. I, what? Like I was going insane. And I think there were definitely some video ideas that I like got inspired from people, but there were so many where, God, there was just this phase. I remember where everything was called out as being a copy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was trying so hard to create original things. And that really mentally messed with me. Yeah. How do you feel like you've overcome that now? Because I think- Hate is something that oh, most just don't YouTubers care. have to deal with. Just don't, yeah. just don't care. You just you just acknowledge that there's negative people out there. You could be Mother Teresa, you know, saving, you know, people all over the world. And there'd be someone in your comments being like, yeah, but why didn't you do more? You know, like there's, yeah. I think it's it's just that realization that there's, there's always, negativity is a constant, especially the more mm -hmm. um, viewership you get. And just do you do it for the people who enjoy your content and you know like seriously negative comments these days used to they used to really mess with me these days i like either laugh them off because some of them are laughably written by like 12 year olds yeah. um and then the other ones you're just like i just don't yeah and was there a moment do you remember where you felt like you'd made it or was there a moment where you were like holy shit this is bigger than i ever thought it could have been 
I'd say there are just like consistent milestones for that. You know, there was the first time I did a, I did a brand deal in a month. Right. And I was like making more than minimum wage. And I was like, wow, okay. Now I'm actually making like the amount of money someone doing a real job would make. And I'm making it playing yeah. video games. Then there was, you know, a milestone, like when I bought my first apartment and I was like, oh my yeah. God, I bought an apartment and I'm like 21. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like that's an achievement in itself. Mm -hmm. um and i remember back then my only goal was like if i could buy a place and pay it off from doing youtube like that's a win um yeah so then there was like that box that got ticked and then you know milestones like hitting a million subscribers and being able to go on holidays and getting invited to go on holidays and then getting paid to go on like you know just like crazy i'd say just like that that's the thing about youtube is um those first few years are just like a if you're on a blow up, like especially what happened with a lot of the channels, like my channel, Lockie, Lannan, all that kind of thing, it's just like bang, 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 milestone, 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 yeah. milestones you never thought you would hit or you never thought you'd even get close to hitting are suddenly just like smashed out of the way. Cause like YouTube can be a slow burn and then a very quick jump. Yeah. I feel like it's amazing in one way because it's such feedback all the time all the time you're getting a boost that like hey you're doing this right you're doing this right yeah. but do you ever feel like it can also be kind of unhealthy and the fact that you're hitting these milestones but like you just said you literally there's always more that you could be doing do you ever feel like it's like not enough or do you feel really satisfied with where you're at now like where's your headspace I guess in the life cycle of it because I remember when you started and you first went full-time there was like a solid two years where I think you barely came up you barely like lifted your head and you were completely in the grind and I think you were really happy at the time with that grind even though you recognized that it was also kind of unhealthy and probably came at the detriment of your relationships with family and friends and that sort of thing and now I feel like you have a lot more balance in your life you have other things that you're interested in like, how do you feel like that affected you mentally? Yeah, I mean, I think that back then I was I was having so much fun with it and I was enjoying it so much uh, that, yeah, the grind wasn't a grind, you know? It was just, it was just, I was, I was loving every second of it. I was like following my mm -hmm. daily subscriber numbers and then reading every comment and- mm -hmm. um, You could work 18 hours a day and not even notice. Yeah, because for me, like, it was just, it was just being constantly feeling like, oh my God, this is like a, such a unique opportunity. You know, this is a job that I've wanted to do ever since I was a kid. It's a job that millions of people would kill. Like the position I was in was one that millions of people would kill to be in. I was so fortunate to be there. Also knowing that there are so many people who do want that job. And if you're not working harder than them, they will overtake you. If like, that's mm -hmm. the thing about YouTube. If you get complacent and if, you're, if you try and half-ass it, you're, you're never going to make it because there yeah. are so many people who want to do exactly what you're doing. If you get even a hint of momentum on YouTube, like a hint that the platform's starting to push you, you need to work harder than ever. And I think that um, that like, yeah, that positive feedback loop of growth that I had throughout all those early years was just endless fuel. And like, I, I remember, you know, it was hard work. I'm being tired, but I also remember loving it. And I remember mm. just being so particular about everything. Like I'd render out a video that I'd just spent eight hours editing. And then I'd realized that the the beat drop was like one frame out of sync with where the <laughs> outro card came in. And I would move that and I would re-render the whole thing. 
Like, I just remember being obsessive. Yeah, I think it's crazy. And one thing I think you've always done really well is never forget that you're in a really lucky position. And like you just said, literally millions of people would kill to be able to do the job that you're doing. And I think that's been an extremely important mindset for you to maintain through knowing you personally, in that even though it's hard, even though sometimes it can really feel like a grind or you might be presented with opportunities where on face value, you might be like, oh, I'm kind of tired or I don't really want to. You're always able to bring it back to a young 19-year-old Muselk that would have thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that was pretty much always it for me. It was just that, um, you know, growing up, yeah, basically realizing that you're living the dream and realizing that you're just lucky as well. Like, you know, as, as much as there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, a lot of people work really hard and if you're one of the lucky few who happens to be like for me tf2 very much right place right time my content was not high enough quality to justify the growth i was getting in those early early days but i just mm. happened to be the only content creator in a community that suddenly lost its two biggest creators and there was a vacuum that i filled yeah. and i'm lucky that that happened because that allowed me to like train myself up over time um, yeah. and use that to grow but uh yeah I, I i think there's if there's one thing that just frustrates me more than anything else it's seeing like which 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 i always have to remind myself not everyone is you know that same way which is absolutely fine you know not everyone is like i need to be the biggest i need to be the best i need to i need to you know grow as much as i can um and the two different my some people literally are just like i have the passion and I want to just make whatever dumb content I want to make and I don't care how many views it gets you know which is mm -hmm. like a really really also amazing mindset that I think leads to some of the best content on the platform but for me like so many times when I see someone who is in a position where they could blow up and you can just see that momentum behind them and you just be like oh man like why are you not working right now like get back in there do your like grind for the next 12 months absolutely slay it because you can blow up and be one of the biggest on the platform and i think that like yeah when when you're a, so many people love the idea of being a youtuber but i think that every single big youtuber i know it like from the outside it looks like the cushiest job in the world from the inside every youtuber i know who's blown up Lockie lannon hardest working people that i Lockie lannon fresh like all people I know who have insane work ethic. And it's when you reach that point, the difference between a channel that will blow up and become one of the biggest in the world are the people who reach that point where the momentum's behind them and they either like, they double down and they absolutely grind it and they kill it and they work nonstop. Or they're one of the people who is like, oh, cool. And they take it for granted. And it's really, unless you're one of those super unique people who puts out the most amazing high quality content ever someone like a fitz um or a you know or a um you know one of the more unique channels out there then you just you can't do it yeah i think that's something that is so correct and it's something that i know we've had countless conversations on before where it's like so many people say they want this job so many people say they want to be a youtuber but very few people actually want the hard work that's required to go into it. Yeah. And if you want the reward, you've got to be ready to put that in. And, and unfortunately, some people, it's not unfortunate. It's just like a way of life. But if you want to be going out for drinks with your friends every night, if you want to be taking weekends off, 
if you want to work nine to five, if you want to, you know, go on holidays, you, you might not get there. And that's totally fine. And it's not for everyone. And I wouldn't say that like getting to that high level gives you some sort of satisfaction that weighs that, you know, weighs up against all the stuff that you give up necessarily. I think it's a conscious decision that you have to make, but I would a hundred percent echo what you were saying there, where the people we know or in every, every experience of my seeing people that are super successful on YouTube is it comes with significant sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I guess that kind of leads into an interesting point that I just wanted to touch on. And I think we'll do an episode on it in totality later, but I think for you, something that I find unique is obviously you're incredibly passionate about YouTube, but I think you're passionate about business in general. And three years ago now, Click Management, our business that we now share, um, sort of came into existence. And I remember that six months before that, you'd messaged me and you were like, hey, I kind of want to start this business. I don't even know if you remember this, but it was right around the time when I'd finished university and I had six months off between finishing university and starting at PwC. And I was about to go on a trip to Italy by myself. And you messaged and you were like, hey, I have this idea. I want to start this like platform where advertisers and influencers could come together and and do this thing. And you were like, do you want to help me with it? And I remember at the time I was like, what the hell? I've just studied five years of commerce and law to go and work a real job. Like, what are you talking about? Do you remember that at all? Yeah, very vaguely. And then I guess, you know, a year later, the idea for Click sort of came into fruition more. But what was sort of your thinking there? Where did that come from? I think it was just, um, you know, like I I think the whole reason that click started is i remember uh you know when i was at that like 100,000 200,000 sub milestone mark and just kind of like it's it's at a critical stage where you know you can almost do it as a job but you also can't really make quite enough money yet to do it like i was still living at mum's apartment um and also just there's so much crap out there you know there's so many dodgy brands who are trying to take advantage of all these young people and i know i had so many friends who I saw doing YouTube and they'd come to me and they'd be like, Oh, like, like, what should I do here? Like, what's this thing? Should I, you know, do five Twitter posts if they give me a free headset and you know, all that kind of stuff. But just long story short, I think I'd lived through the stress of, you know, go, when, when you're growing up as, a, as when you're coming up as a YouTuber, it's like we were saying before working nonstop, working really, really hard. And that's the part you have control of. And then there's this whole other element, which is the branding and the, you know, building your overall business, which I mean, number one, you might not have the time for, but number two, you also definitely don't have the knowledge on. And I remember just feeling how invaluable it was having a manager at the time and, um, and how much that helped me not only financially in terms of brand deals, but just peace of mind. Um, and it made you actually, I think just also just feel more legit, you know, having a manager (laughs) is something, no, but like, it sounds weird, but you know, everyone's like, oh, you're a YouTuber and it's like, blah, blah, blah. And "And this is my manager. And people are like, oh, wow, you have a manager. That was it. (laughs) Back in the day, that's actually kind of what it felt like it took to be considered like doing a serious job. Um, Hmm. So yeah, but I just- Made you feel like you had someone on your team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, I, I also think the real drive for wanting to kick click off was- I mean, it was never really for me. I don't think like a huge, like, oh, I'm going to, this is going to be like a huge business and make tons of money. It was also just like a, 
like number one like i was saying like recognizing i had a lot of friends who i thought it could help and that it would be really really mm. useful for and then also just um you know like youtube is is great and it's like we were saying really hard work and the thing is like it's very repetitive it's like sit down play game record video edit video go back sit down play video edit video record video make thumbnail post cycling day on day on day on day on day when you're doing daily content so i think i wanted something separate to try and um you know think about and focus on and build um yeah and i think that's why click was such a exciting idea yeah and what do you think if you look back on the last six years since you uploaded your first video to now how do you think you've changed what do you think your vision for like what you're capable of what you want to do i mean i think that now where is is in where i sit right now i think that um and this is saying that i don't i think that every the amount that i worked and the way i did content every step of the way i think was you know pretty much the way i should have done it i think that i'm in the lucky position now where i'm my focus is more and more trying to you know i because i think i came to this realization that basically i've been making videos since i was 21 2021 um and i don't want to get to and, and those first three years i was basically locked in a room recording and editing same with pretty mm -hmm. much every youtuber i know and i think it's the past year or two where i've realized i don't want to reach like 30 and be like and be like hey what did i do in my 20s i sat in a room recording and editing for 10 years and hey look i got this big channel but i didn't really do a lot else so i think for me the mindset with youtube which is and once again uh i'm very lucky that i can make these that i have these options and can make these choices is now uh you know it used to be someone would say hey want to come out for drinks i'm like nope don't have time need to work someone would be like hey like do you want to come down to tassie and visit the grandparents on the weekend i'm like nope sorry can't do it don't have time need to work uh or you know do you want to go on a holiday or do you want to do anything and i'd be like look how many days could we cut this down to so i can get back and get working again yeah um whereas these days because back then i had this mentality of if i miss an upload if one video doesn't go live, I'm done. My channel's over. And I think yeah. what YouTube has taught me is like just a much healthier mindset over the past five years. So I've gone from hater comments really kind of impacting me, some being like, your commentary sucks. And I'd be like, oh my God, my commentary does suck. <laughs> and then that would lead you to like question who you are and, and you wouldn't enjoy making videos as much. Um, and also, you know, people would be like, want to come out? I'd say, no, I didn't really have a social life. Uh, and more and more, I think YouTube's taught me that, you know, if I, if I don't, if I do miss an upload one day, the sky isn't going to fall down. It's fine. You know, and that I, I want to more and more jump on as many kind of opportunities as I can. If I get the opportunity to go, to go to LA for E3, you know, I'm like, you know what, do I have to fly 20 hours to get there? Is it probably going to be a bit of work on the ground? Yes. But also it's an awesome, unique experience that I know. I basically try and think back to the person I was three or four years ago when I got my first brand deal and be like, would I have said yes to that? And like the the opportunity to travel and do exciting things was just amazing to me. So I think more and more for me with YouTube, it's trying to find ways where, you know, like now I've got editors, you know, who can help take some of the workload off. I've got someone who helps me with my thumbnails now. I It's still like a lot of work and a lot of hours, but I've now got that breathing room. So... I try and use that to, you know, be like, hey, let's go get drinks. Or, hey, let's go to Miami Ultra and then eventually not go because it got canceled because of coronavirus. Um, 
you know, like basically just jumping on more opportunities, embracing kind of going out and doing more. Yeah. And what do you think the future looks like for you? Because I feel like YouTube is an easy place to sort of just get stuck in the day to day. But if you actually think about it, like what are the, do you want to be doing YouTube videos forever? Do you feel like you've developed skills that have allowed you to think about other things that you might be interested in doing in the future? Do you want to retire at 30? Like where do you think you'll be? I definitely don't think I want to retire at 30. I think that uh, if there's one thing, you know, we've chatted about today, it's the fact that I feel like I need constant stimulus. I, I, I definitely yeah. feel like there could be like a year, right? Where I'd like be like, okay, like say I'm like done with YouTube and, and clicks running itself. And I would just become addicted to like fitness or something. But, you know, I feel like there's always going to be something that I'm you know, addicted to, but I, but I also think that I love, I love projects, you know, I love, I love seeing growth. I love seeing things build and I love having ownership over that thing that's building, you know? So whether that's, and, and the size of it doesn't really matter. It could be anything from growing a YouTube channel to 8 million subscribers or growing click management to having, you know, more employees and more talent and more revenue and all that kind of stuff. It could be growing my abs to be, you know, bigger than ever. <laughs> like I, I just I like, yeah, big or small. I think I just love investing my time into something and seeing results. So I think that I'm always going to have a project like that. You're going to be a businessman. Are you going to want to keep making content? Like, I don't gonna... know. If there's one thing YouTube's <laughs> taught me, it's that if, if I try and plan any more than six months in advance, like those plans are going to get thrown out the window. And every, yeah. every prediction I've tried to make more than six months in advance has consistently been wrong. So I don't try anymore. I just, I just, it's I so ride hard. the wave. I go with the flow. Like, I feel like it's so hard these days, especially for kids when kids are like, should I go to university? And, you know, I asked people on Instagram, like what questions would you have for Elliot? And there were so many questions like, does he regret going to university? Like, does he regret studying that sort of thing, given he doesn't need it anymore? And I think it's so tough as a kid these days because the world literally moves so fast. And there are all these jobs that exist now that literally didn't just didn't exist five or 10 years ago. Yeah. And YouTube or doing gaming or being a Fortnite influencer is one of those things. Like literally no one had ever said the word Epic Games Fortnite five years ago, probably. Yeah. And now people are able to make millions of dollars a year off playing Fortnite. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's like, I, I feel for the kids, I think, but I think there's good advice there where it's just like, you've just got to stick with what you're passionate, find what you like doing pursue those things and give them a go. And then when you find something you love, like go hard on it and don't be afraid to like keep looking in the peripheral of like other things that can come up. Yeah, I agree. All right. I think that's a good place to leave it. Guys, thank you so much for watching this week's episode of Watch Time. I hope you like it. If you have any questions, leave them down below in the comments and we will answer them. Let us know who you want to see as our next origin story guest. We're going to be doing these like once a month. So, um, I've got a couple ideas for who might be next, but we'll see. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed 
and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.